We're going to be in Psalm 66 this week. I invite you to turn there because of all the things that we do, even as much as we're going to talk about singing this morning, um, reading God's word, hearing it together is um, the most important thing that we're going to do. And as much as we can be engaged with that, the better. So if you can take time to open up your Bibles, there's also Bibles in the pew ahead of you. There should be a couple. If you don't see one, you can look around. It won't be embarrassing or anything to look around for a Bible because that's why we're here. Um, Psalm 66 is where we're going to be. Now, as you're turning there, one of the announcements that we missed was we are going to have a hymn night tonight at 6.30. It is here at the church, and we're going to be singing hymns. We're going to be talking about, here it comes, singing in harmony. Yes, good. Singing in harmony and stuff like that. So it should be a fun time. Um, nothing really big on TV tonight, so I don't know why anybody couldn't come. <laughs> Psalm 66. We've kind of planned a little bit as far as the hymn night going um, tonight, uh, along with the text that we're looking at this week. We're in a little bit of an in-between series phase. We just finished up Ruth a couple weeks ago, and the place I always like to go in between series is the book of Psalms, because there's so much there, a lot, a lot to unpack. And the psalm today, as most of the psalms perhaps, address um, an important issue for us that comes every Sunday morning that you set foot in this building. And it is that there's singing going on and that you're invited to join into that singing as well. And maybe, maybe you're not super into singing yourself. Maybe you like it, but you kind of sing quiet enough that, you know, when you sing the line too early, perhaps nobody notices that didn't just happen to me in that last song. Don't worry. Maybe you really like to sing. Maybe Sunday morning, one of the things you look forward to the most is being able to lift up your voice with the, God of pe- the people of God and worship him with your voice. Our theme this year is testify. This one word, testify, to share how God's story has taken up your story and you've become a part of it. And what God has done in your life through Jesus Christ to make you his, to make you new. And and in that, we come to this matter of singing, and we may not think that because we are in a building on Sunday morning with other people who we assume know what the gospel is, we may not think that there's really a testifying element to our singing. And we certainly couldn't be any wronger about that. Somebody got that. That was not an incorrect, that is an incorrect word, right? <laughs> singing is an important element of testifying to God. It is something that we're commanded to do. It's something that we are encouraged to do. It's something that, like we sang earlier, we can do whether things are going well or things are not going so well. Singing is a part of life. It's not really an option. If you hear music at some point, you will most likely end up trying to make it with your voice, however that turns out. Are you at Psalm 66 yet? Cool. Follow along as I read, please. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him, who rules by his might forever, whose whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you. That which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fatted animals. With the smoke of the sacrifice of rams, 
I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Will you pray once more with me, please? Father, what we come to you now and request has a double impact on our immediate context. That one, we are coming to your word as we do every Sunday, asking for you to speak clearly and truthfully as only you can. And similarly, Lord, we're asking that you would give us an unction by your spirit to lift up our voices, to obey the call of this, your word, your inspired text that so clearly calls us to lift up our voices in song. Father, may we not be cast down by the cares of this world so much so that we forget the truth of who you are and the truth of what Christ has done for us. But may we ever rest in that truth regardless of whether the sun is shining or it is raining on our hearts and lives. Help us now, we pray. Grant your spirit, open our ears, and glorify Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Title this morning is Testify in Song. Testify in Song. So what does singing testify to in your life? Do you ever sing throughout the week besides Sunday morning? Does anybody ever catch you doing it? Are you embarrassed? Where does it happen? How do you feel? What song is on your lips when this happens? Are, are they those songs that come on the radio or when you shuffle your music on your phone? Even if you haven't heard them in years, perhaps, as soon as they come back on, the words come back to you as if you knew it like the back of your hand. Most songs like this, whether they're praise songs or otherwise, become the soundtrack to different times of our life, don't they? You might think back on a certain season of life, perhaps when your children were a certain age or when you were in college or, or high school years, middle school, whatever it might be, and you might be able to best remember those times through a song. Keith Getty, anybody know who Keith Getty is? Keith Getty writes um, many of the hymns that we sing on Sunday mornings. Uh, Keith and Kristen, um, they're, they're hymn writers, modern hymn writers. And in an article I read this past week, Keith says that singing is always a witness to something. Singing is always a witness to something. Let's test that in a very simple way. When was the last time you sang the ABCs? Were you trying to remember the ABCs when you sang them? Were you teaching them to someone? Is it your favorite song? There could be all sorts of contexts for why the ABCs might have come out of your mouth. But there is a story behind why you know that song, right? Whether you're singing it to teach someone, remind yourself, or just because you like the tune, there's a story behind it. Someone taught you that song. And they made sure that you knew it. Why? Because you need to know your ABCs, right? It's a part of our communication. Well, what we sing on Sunday morning matters as well. I don't know if you know this, but um, my wife spends a lot of time during the week, hours upon hours, pouring through hymnals. I'm just kidding. Not, maybe not that much time. But she spends time every week working hard to pick music that frames the sermon passage for the week. Though I have a tendency to, sometimes to look at the list she gives me and say, I like all those songs, let's do them. She's able to say, well, I don't know if this song really hits what the passage is saying, or maybe there's a better one that hits it a little bit more, that's a little bit more clearly related. On Sunday morning, our worship songs are geared towards what we are going to see in God's word. And they're not just meant to be a, a shuffling through our favorite playlist. And maybe on this Sunday, your favorite song ends up being up there or one that you really don't like ends up up there. The idea is that singing would testify to what we're learning in God's word. That's why, what was our first song this morning? Does anybody remember? It's a long time ago. Yeah, how can I keep from singing? 
Do you think that was chosen intentionally? We're going to talk about singing. Yeah, of course. So you see it. It's, it's there. What we see in Psalm 66 today is that God's word calls us, not only in Psalm 66, but in many different places, even outside the book of Psalms, God's word calls us to see and testify to others, that is to tell others, the glory of his name and his awesome deeds. And it gives us a context for doing that that is accessible to almost every single person. And that's why the beginning of this psalm is, please remember, uh, keep your Bibles open if you want to really grasp what the Lord is saying this morning. Shout for joy to God. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. You see, even in those first three verses, a repetition of command, do these things, sing, say, shout even. So there's a clear call for us to testify to others. We'll see that later on here in this psalm, particularly why we chose this one for this week. But singing is a foundational part of the Christian life. Now, is it going to be foundational to people who literally, physically cannot sing? Well, of course, it's going to look differently, right? But really, when we think about, you know, and maybe in your mind, you're thinking, okay, well, what if I can't sing? What if I have laryngitis? What if there's somebody who's lost their voice forever? What if they've never been able to talk? There's all sorts of circumstances where we could say, hey, this changes a little bit, but I'll tell you how it changes. It changes because the people who cannot sing that maybe in your life need you to sing all the louder on their behalf. And so they might be encouraged as well. It does not diminish the command, the call to sing to the Lord whether we are good at it or whether we can't do it at all. And it's an incredibly freeing thing. I want so much to just kind of ditch my sermon notes and just tell you my story about singing because I've grew, I grew up in church, and I'm not going to start telling a story, I promise. I'm going to give you the, the snapshot of it. I grew up going to church. I grew up not wanting to sing. It wasn't anything for me. I didn't feel like I was good at it. I didn't care about what was being sung. But when I met Jesus, everything changed. I mean, sure enough, I could find other songs that didn't have to do with Christ that I would sing at the top of my lungs, in the back of the school bus, perhaps. But when I met Christ, this call to sing made sense with what the Lord was doing in my heart. And I've seen it in so many other people. And sometimes it's the most glorious in those of us who have no singing ability at all, right? We don't have that to rest on. You know, we might think that it's a hindrance that I can't sing as beautifully as Sarah Vion can. But in some ways, I have an advantage. I, I, I don't, I, I, even though I can't rest on that confidence, I can put more of my confidence on Christ. Not to say that my wife's confidence isn't in Christ. I know it is. But you get what I'm saying here, right? What we think might be a hindrance is actually in some ways a gift. Because when people hear you singing, and well, let's say when people hear me singing, hopefully they know this guy is simply wanting to testify to who Christ is because I don't know why he'd be singing otherwise. <laughs> don't quit your day job is the theme. <laughs> so we're called to testify in what we proclaim each week through singing. And you are called. Singing is, in fact, of all the things that we do. You know, we talk about how reading God's word is the most important, right? Singing is probably the most engaging, right? Because I am calling you to engage during the sermon. Right? I, I want you to be thinking about these things. I don't want you to just turn off and say, all right, I'll see you in 30, 40, or please, God, not 50 minutes. Um, but I, I want you to be engaged during this time. But when we say, now, stand and sing with us, there is an even greater degree of actual physical engagement because you're standing up off your seat. You're, you're getting ready. Okay, I'm going to do something with my voice. I don't know what it's going to sound like, but hopefully everybody else is singing. Right? You're participating in a, in a more, perhaps in a more intentional way, perhaps in a more engaging way than other parts of the service. And that is because it is the part where we all gather together to testify to who Christ is. Have you ever walked past the building when people are singing in it? This is a legitimate question because I never have. I've usually been in it. But I wonder what it sounds like. You know, I wonder what the neighborhood hears. You know, a hundred years ago, it would have made sense for every church to have a bell tower. 
and to ring the bell just before the service would start to remind everybody, hey, you slept in, it's time to go to church, right? And I've thought about this. What if we got a bell in our neighborhood? What would that testify to the world around us, to the neighborhood around us? I'm not saying how they would respond because I'm sure there's a lot of people that don't want to be woken up even at nine o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. But being, but calling people into something, you know, having some clear declaration that we want you to come and not just come and sit and be entertained or be um, listening only, but to participate. And singing is, in fact, the first response you have to the word of God every Sunday morning. When we spend time in a sermon, you stop afterwards and we sing a song. It's the first thing you do to respond to God's word as we gather corporately whether we're alone or whether with others, we mostly fill our lives with songs and music that matches our mood, right? When you think about getting in the car on the way home and if you listen to the radio or if you like to play music while you're cleaning the house or if while you're working, we like to pick songs that match how we feel or might help us in um, whatever task we're doing. I, I notice when I'm writing and I'm reading, I don't like to play song that has, that's heavy on lyrics. I like to play, you know, like lo-fi hip-hop beats, while I'm sermon prepping, for instance, and that probably sounds weird, doesn't it? But just, just a, a simple background music that helps me focus, but also, you know, might make me go like this a little bit while I'm, while I'm prepping, right? Because I love music, and any chance I get, I, I want to listen to it. And, and what I do, what we all do, is we, we formulate those things according to our own perspectives, our own, our own likes and our own tastes, if you look at the music apps in the world right now, Spotify, Apple Music, um, Pandora, I don't even know if Pandora is around anymore. Is Pandora a thing anymore? All these kinds of um, services, well, what do they do? They want to cater to what you, how are you feeling? Are you bummed? Do you need a breakup song right now? Are you, are you excited? Do you need everybody's working for the weekend because it's Friday and you're ready to get to clock out of work? Right? I mean, everything that we see as far as technologically presenting this music to us, they're trying to appeal to the heart. And in some ways, it's no different when we come in on Sunday morning. We want to appeal to your hearts. We want to say, here's Christ. Respond. Here's a platform to respond. We've chosen these songs that reflect the truths that we just learned so that you might use them to respond, to sing back to God, and to testify to each other of the truth that you just heard. But emotionalism is a serious problem. Emotionalism is when we make our decisions and we determine how we're going to feel, react, and think about things based on how we feel. Not based on whether it's true, not based on our needs, but based on our feelings. It's our tendency to let our feelings dictate our actions and to interpret our reality. So you might get in your car after church today and you might say to someone, how do you think church went this morning? How do you feel it went? And you might say, oh my goodness, we sang some great songs. I love those songs. I was so glad that they picked those songs because some weeks, I don't like them. They're not good. Or I just don't know them and I don't care to learn. This is emotionalism, friends. This is where we let our emotions dictate our interpretation of how things are. Of course, we do this in many other contexts as well. This is the water that we swim in in our culture. How I feel determines how I act. Truth is relative in this context. And even Christians who are committed to the truth of God's words are not immune to this temptation. What you decide to do on Sunday afternoon may just be completely emotionally based, right? I preached a sermon and I had to take care of the kids all morning. I'm going to go home and take a nap. That could be an emotional decision. It doesn't have to be. And I'm going to try to figure out the best way possible to not let it be an emotional decision when I do it. But we make these decisions based on how we feel and we miss the truth. Let me give you three examples as well. Um, pandemic passivity is, again, some alliteration I thought of because I'm brilliant like that. Being in the pandemic has made us passive about certain things. When we hear this call to shout for joy to God and to sing to the glory of his name, we might say, you know, we didn't have in-person church for however many weeks. We haven't even set foot in a church building. I haven't lifted up my voice to sing. I don't see why we need it. I did fine throughout 2020 without singing when I was sitting at home by myself. 
pandemic passivity. Our flesh might look at what, what, what this task is and say, ah, I'm not feeling it. I don't need it. Then we might just have simple temptation to worldly thinkings. We might determine how we see singing based on the way that the world does. Because again, people that might walk by our building while we're lifting up our voices might go, bunch of weirdos in there. I have no idea what they're talking about or singing about. They're singing about it. Oh, that's embarrassing. I would never want to be caught with one of those kind of crowds. Then again, others might walk by and say, they're singing. I only sing when I'm really, really loving something, when something really has impacted me. What is it that that group of people has been so impacted to that they buy, rather, that they come together on Sunday mornings and lift up their voices to sing about it? Do you see how testifying through song is an impacting element of our witness to the world? But we may be tempted to think in a worldly way. We might also face spiritual opposition, a simple question. Could the enemy of your souls want you to keep your mouth shut during worship? Could he want you to, in those times of distress and sadness and weariness throughout the week, when a hymn comes to mind that perhaps the Holy Spirit reminds you of, would the enemy of your souls not love to say, don't sing, you can't, you're not good. And it's so embarrassing. And you know those are just words. They don't compare with your feelings. Our temptations are are great in this world, in, in, in the spiritual warfare that we face, and even in our own flesh. But the psalm gives us a strong foundation of, yes, an imperative, but also great reason and great joy to be found. So let's look at it in three simple sections. Um, the first one, the first three verses, sorry, the first seven verses refer to God's global mission and how singing takes place in that. Again, we look, we've already read the first three verses multiple times. How awesome are your deeds. Say this to God. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Shout for joy to God. Who? Who is being called in this first verse? Shout, to joy, shout for joy to God. Who? All the earth. What is it that God wants to accomplish in the earth? Does he simply want them singing all the greatest hits of the psalm, the psalter? You know, hey, Psalm 66 is on the radio. Everybody sing together. You know when you're at like a big baseball game or I don't know, maybe you go to football games or something and people do the wave? Why do people do the wave? It's so dumb, isn't it? Like, I mean, if we said right now, and we're not going to, and please don't because it'd be so weird for a church service. But if I told you to get up and start doing the wave right now, you should be embarrassed and you should not do it. You should at least be embarrassed for me. The wave is a weird thing, but why do people do it? They do it because they can say, all right, here we go. Whoa. And then they go, Oh, and it stopped right here before there were still 3,000 seats on this side, right? Well, what's the end goal? If you can get the whole stadium to do the wave, you've accomplished a wave. Congratulations, you've impacted the world so wonderfully. What God wants us to do in singing is not just say, oh, look, there's, look at those Christians. They just love their Savior so much. Oh, isn't that sweet? It's like the wave. It's not like the wave. This is God's global mission for the world to en engage in worshiping him, what we were made to do, but our hearts are opposed to it for so many reasons. You've got the command here in this first four verses very clearly. This is a text that we are called to obey. Does it look different for us? Sure. I mean, sorry, Sarah, I keep using you. Sarah's going to do this differently than I am, right? Because she's a worship leader. So when she reads, shout for joy to God and sing to the glory of his name, she's also thinking in the context of, I'm going to put music together and I'm going to help people engage in this, right? So it's going to be a little bit different. And, and, and that's okay. Again, it may be different with people who have uh, various lung capacity, for instance, right? I get that. But the command is there and it's something that we're called to obey. Shout, sing, say, give him praise. Come and see. In verse 5, come and see. We see why. Because the people who might walk outside the building and say, oh, that's interesting, or oh, that's weird, have no idea why the singing is happening until they come and see what is going on. In verses 1 through 4, we have the ideal and the ultimate end, that there will not be a soul on the new earth. When Jesus returns and makes everything right, there will not be a soul on the earth that does not sing to the glory of God. Right now, most don't. 
The change happens in verse 5. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. What story is this, folks? What sea is he talking about? The Red Sea, the Exodus. Can you imagine? I mean, boy, this is a text you could preach on every single Sunday and just picture in your minds being in front of a lake and thinking there's no way across. And then suddenly the wind blows and there's dry land right in the middle of it. Walls of water on either side of you. What is it that the Israelites did after they crossed the Red Sea? What was the first thing they did? They sang a song. They wrote a song for the Lord. I mean, my goodness. They came up with a song. They said, we have to lift up our voices to what God has done. His salvation is great. His deeds are awesome. Even his enemies come cringing and acknowledging his power. In the setup of this psalm, there's no emotionalism. There's no call to say, now I really want you to feel this song, right? I really want you to put some emotion into it. Now, are emotions bad? No, emotions are not bad. Emotionalism is a temptation to make emotions supreme. But something that I've said in youth group for years is that we need to let our thinking and what we know to be true roll, roll over our feelings and how we feel. I mean, this is not only a problem for uh, various stages of life, but it is for the whole of life, that we want to feel a certain way. And, and that's why, again, the song comes up and we go, oh, I don't know this one. And our, and our thought is, is maybe, maybe even at the very least, we might say, I'll, I'll listen and I'll just embrace everything i don't know my friends i i don't want to tell you what to do from my own self but i love singing new songs i love even if i don't know it i start i just start watching the people singing and try to follow along i look at the words and and try i try to do it because i i don't want to miss an opportunity to lift up my voice to the lord with his people the kind of singing that this psalm calls for shows us why we must continually preach the gospel, preach about God's great salvation. Because when we stop thinking about the salvation that he's accomplished for us, we are left with nothing to sing about. When we stop thinking about the deep truths of God and his character and his actions, we're left with just emotion, and our emotions would like to be somewhere else. So it's been a good minute since we've done a John MacArthur quote. MacArthur says, the heart can only go as high in worship as it goes deep in theology. I wonder today, I'm not dictating this into your life, but I wonder today if something about not wanting to sing and not wanting to lift up your voice on Sunday morning might have to do with a lack of going deep in understanding who God is. I wonder if, if, you're, if you're thinking about this and thinking, okay, I'll genuinely think about it. Why don't I lift up my voice? I wonder if there might be something too going deeper into what God has done for you in Christ that might free you. Because what we're calling people to is not saying, hey, we just want to make this building shake with loud voices of Christians. I don't care about that. That's not it at all. What I care about and what the word of God cares about is you're lining up in obedience with him and you're experiencing the kind of joy that verse one talks about. Joy of salvation that causes you to sing for how great it is. So what does your singing testify to? I know maybe, again, we might be thinking, my singing just testifies to the fact that I have no idea how to sing. That might be one of the biggest hurdles for us. It's funny, but it's also true, right? I mean, you might just think that. You might just think, I don't want anybody to hear me. But if our goal is to testify to each other of who God is, because we have multiple audiences when we worship, do we not? Worship through song. We, we sing to the Lord, but we're also singing in the midst of each other. And we may, in fact, be singing just in case somebody's walking by outside the building at that time. All of this is going on, and we want to embrace it in light of what God is doing, not in light of how we feel. Gospel saturation of our heart produces abiding joy in Christ, and that remains even under pressure. There's pressure to come. Look at on um, this next section, verses 8 through 12. Bless our God, O people. So we start again with a call. 
hey, look, oh, peoples, everyone, bless our God. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He's kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. And then in verse 10, he starts talking about God testing the people of God. You, oh God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We were enslaved. We went through fire and water. Verses 8 through 12a, I know the second part of verse 12 is good and it brings resolution to this, but let's sit in these first couple verses for a second because, again, another thought you might be having as we talk about singing on Sunday morning is, Nick, you have no idea what I've had to deal with this past week. You can't expect me to lift up my voice in joy when I've had to bear such burdens and weights the week before, the month before, for this entire year maybe. And, and hear me when I say I'm not calling you to raise your voice for the sake of raising your voice. God's word is calling us to lift up our voices, to give God the praise that he deserves, and to enrich our own souls with joy, to express what God has done for us in Christ. And the truth of that supersedes any circumstances that we might find ourselves in. There's, I mean, we sang it in the first song. I can't remember the line exactly. But the idea was there that regardless of whether I'm winning or losing at life, it doesn't change the need for me to sing. It doesn't change the reason for me to sing. Can you imagine for a second, and I think this would be an interesting experiment. We're not going to do it. But what if on a Sunday morning I said, hey, when you come in, only sing if you're really happy about how life is going. Like, I mean, really happy. Do you think there would be more singing or less singing? probably less most of the time. Maybe sometimes we'd have a weird Sunday where everybody's feeling great. But it would all depend on emotionalism. It would all depend on our own feelings. I don't think God's word encourages us to make any decision based on our feelings, based on his truth. And so when we come to sing, yeah, I, I get it. You know, that's why I pray, I try to pray. Every Sunday morning when we do our opening prayer, I always try to remember to pray for those of us who we're so distracted, and, and understandably so. There's burdens, there's challenges in this life that are hard. We don't come to church and pretend like everything's okay. I get that. We need to acknowledge that. But in the midst of that, God's people have, throughout redemptive history, been a peculiar people because they're able to lift up their voices in praise to the God who even brought those trials into their lives. Because look at where this comes from in verses 10 through 12. You have tested us, God. You have tried us. You brought us into a net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. All because God, the sovereign God of the universe, whether he's doing it for our disciplinary purposes or he's allowing it as the sovereign God who says, you've chosen sin, now let sin reign over you. God is at every moment able to stop anything from coming into your life. So at the bare minimum, we can say he is at the very least allowed things into your lives. What's one of the number one complaints with non-believers about, about God when, when you know, we have the pandemic and we have insurrection and we have rebellion and all these things are going on in our country? What's the question? Where's God in all of that? I'll believe in God when I see him make a change, make things better. God's people are the ones who say, it is better to be with the Lord. It is better to spend one day in his house than a thousand elsewhere. That his presence is what makes the difference of that. And Christ has come to be the presence of God in the midst of our trouble. We read in Sunday school, John 1.14 again, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You might think when you read that, it just sounds like you know, you're simple uh, moving from, hey, what did you do this past week? Oh, I moved from heaven down to earth, you know, got a new house. It's not that at all. He took on flesh. He, the eternal God, took on flesh and dwelt among us. He didn't say, okay, I'll come and live on the earth, but I'm going to live on this compound with a really big wall. Nobody's allowed in, just me. And that's going to have to be enough for you guys because you're all a mess. Jesus didn't say that. He came in and he took our mess into his own life too. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Because in God doing all of these things, 
It says in the second half of verse 12, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. Do you see this in the lives of people like Ruth and Naomi? Do you see them coming from a place of sadness where their father-in-law dies, their husbands die, there's famine, there's all these questions of what I should do. Should I go with my my mother-in-law back to her homeland? Should I stay here? And do you wonder, like them, does the Lord see me? Does he know? Is he going to provide me rest? He does. The testimony of God's people is God is sovereign over all these things. He's allowed these things to happen. And he's brought us not to a place where we feel like, okay, you made up for it. You paid off your debt. He brings us to a place of abundance. Christ himself fixes our situation by showing us that at the cross, God is truly for us and sustaining us through crushing burdens, giving us abundant reason to sing. And grammatically here, this Hebrew word for crushing burdens, remember we talked about last week, if you watched the sermon last week, um, the hapax legamenon, the time that a Hebrew word or Greek word in the Bible only appears one time. This is this crushing burden. It's a unique word. And I'm not going to go too, super far into it, but I, I realize, you know, I'm thinking about the uniqueness of this word and the uniqueness of everything that you guys face in the week ahead of you. None of us faces the exact same thing, but you have a high priest who has been tempted in every way just as you are and yet is without sin. Christ has fixed this. The change in verses 8 through 9 is is the voice of not just everyone to sing to the God, but to sing to our God, to bless our God. He's come, he has tested, tried us, and crushed us even, but he's then given us abundance. This crushing is the idea of pressing heavily. It comes from the Lord, or is at very least allowed by him. And yet abundance happens. This reminds me, the only, this is another one. Um, so this word abundance is not exactly a hapax legamenon, but it's like a half-pax legamenon because it appears twice, okay? And the only the other place that it shows up is a very familiar passage. Psalm 23, verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What a picture is that, right? You prepare, can you imagine God saying, hey, dinner plans tonight. I'm going to get all your enemies out. We're going to set up the table. We're going to have a really great meal. It's going to be awesome. You excited? No, my enemies are going to be there. That changes everything. Replace my enemies with my family, my friends, with, with you, Lord, with anybody, but not my enemies. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. That word overflows is the abundant word that we see here. My cup overflows. Can you imagine being at a restaurant, having the waiter come in? Maybe you've had the waiter that, you know, doesn't let your cup go, you know, without being completely level, right? Like they're constantly giving you refills. Can you imagine the waiter coming and just giving you a refill and then it just pouring all over the table? And you're thinking, oh my goodness, I didn't want all of this. And yet this is what the Lord has done for you. You've lifted up your cup to him, Christian. He has overflowed it with great and abundant joy. Every reason to sing. The Israelite reading the psalm would have understood this and knowing salvation history. Jesus, the one for whom all of God's word was written to point to, understands this reality more than any of us because it was him who had a table prepared for him in the presence of all his enemies. It is him to whom God became an enemy. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, the Son of God, who lived in perfect relationship, unbroken relationship with him. Never a disagreement, never an argument. Always in line, always loving, always perfect. God made him the object of wrath. He made him who who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. He did to Christ what you deserve to have done to you. Had a great conversation this past week with somebody. And we just gloried in this simple idea that it wasn't, again, it was not nails, a crown of thorns. It was not the whippings on his back that crushed Jesus, that in the garden made him say, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. You see, he overflows your cup with abundance, but he's overflowed the cup of Christ with wrath. Overflowed. That is why he sweat drops of blood in the garden. 
That is why he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Not why have you let all these people do these things to me, but rather you have turned your back on me. You've become like an enemy to me. He's done it for you, Christian. He's done it for all his people. So do you experience, do you see the abundance that the psalmist is talking about here? The abundant overflowing cup the abundance that he's being brought into. And that all of this comes because of what God has ordained all the way through. I mean, think about back to Abraham. Why were they in Egypt in the first place? Were they being punished? Did they sin and then they got sent to Egypt like we see later on in the Judges? It's completely different. God says to Abraham, you're going to become a great people and for 400 years they're going to go and suffer in Egypt. Does he say why? Because they were idolaters. No. He says that's going to happen. Does Abraham ask why? Not in what we see. I'm sure in his heart he wondered. Matthew 4.1, when Jesus goes to the desert to be tempted, it says Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Anybody doing the reading plan? Did you get in Job this past week? Did you stop again in the first chapter and just wonder, what is Satan doing in heaven? And God says, hey, where have you been? I'm sure that's probably an oversimplification. Satan says, here, to and fro. Have you considered my servant Job? There's nobody like him. Yeah, Job's only that way because you give him good things. Challenge accepted. Take away, but leave his body. Don't touch him. Take away everything you want. What does Job do? He still praises the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then, you know, it continues. And I don't want to spoil it because we're reading it right now. So let's not go there. Mark 1.12, we see the same, uh, just pulled these from the synoptic gospels, the same idea each time. Jesus is led into the wilderness by the spirit to be tempted by the devil. The spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness, Mark says in chapter one. Luke 4.1 says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the spirit into the wilderness. This crushing burden that Christ I received from the Lord was the plan of the Lord. Christ is the true singer of these psalms. We best understand them when we see him not only in them or alluded to, but when we see him singing these things. Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There is no greater abundance than the abundance that is experienced by the Son of God right now. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And he invites you into that same joy today, believer. Our greatest burden, though, is not the pressures of this life. As great as they may be, it's not a matter of our feelings or finances or physical health or the challenges that we face relationally. Our greatest burden is this thing of sin. And so verses 13 through 15, you have the psalmist saying, I'm going to offer everything that I am to Christ. All to Jesus, I surrender everything I owe to him. I'll come into your house with burnt offerings. I'll perform my vows to you. That which my lips uttered and my, my mouth promised when I was in trouble. He says, I I was in a time where I asked God for help and I said, Lord, I'll offer sacrifices. And he's saying, I'm going to make good on all of those things now. Make an offering of bulls and goats, sacrifice of rams, fatted animals. I mean, he is explaining all this to express that we give all to Jesus because he is worthy of that. Christ who became that complete sacrifice for us. I was thinking of Pilgrim's Progress in this. And why is it that we offer such a sacrifice? It's because of this true burden that we, we share with all of humanity, this burden of sin that drives us away from God. And if you, if you don't know, in the Pilgrim's Progress, the main character, this is an allegory, and maybe you'll get the idea of it by just knowing that the main character's name was Christian, probably represents a certain kind of person. Christian has a burden on his back, a heavy, heavy burden. And his whole goal, for the first part of the book, to get rid of that burden. And when he comes to Calvary, at the top of the hill stood a cross, Bunyan writes, and a little below the bottom was a stone tomb. In my dream, the author says, just as Christian came up to the cross, his burden loosened from his shoulders and fell off his back. It tumbled and continued to do so down the hill until it came to the mouth of the tomb where it fell inside and was seen no more. 
you've never read Pilgrim's Progress, please read Pilgrim's Progress. It's so good. It's so rich of this imagery. The fact that, yeah, you might have, you, you, our burden of sin has been dealt with at the cross because of what Christ has done. And you may still have burdens from this world, this crushing weight that's on you. But one day, it's going to be removed from your life forever. How do you embrace that today? Part of how you embrace it is by singing, by lifting up the praise of Christ. The last part of this psalm moves from the people of God to the individual testimony. We move from come and see in verse 5 to verse 13, come and hear all you who fear God. Now the psalmist has been speaking this whole time, but now he is speaking as an individual. He's speaking his own particular testimony at this point. When we realize that the pressures of life are not meaningless, we find the ability to sing this song in our hearts. One of the times in my life that a song has meant a lot, which I could go on for days for how songs have meant things for me, but most recently in our family, um, two years ago in a time we're wondering what was the next thing, um, a song came into our lives that just perfectly expressed how we were feeling and became an anthem, as it were, throughout the house um, for months and months. And it's the song, All My Ways by City of Light. And, and in it, the chorus goes, um, all, Oh, what peace that I have found wherever I might be, for all my ways are known to you. Such a great comfort to know that God knows where we are and loves us and cares for us and meets our need. Another song at a different time in my life um, that we sing here, um, My Worth Is Not my, in, in What I Own. Um, that song goes, My worth is not in skill or name, in win or lose, in pride or shame, but in the blood of Christ that flowed at the cross. I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul, and I will trust in him no other. My soul is satisfied in him alone. God has made us emotional people. He's made us feel happiness, sorrow, joy, anger, all these kinds of things. But he intends for them to be an expression of the truth. He intends for us to let our emotions come under the reality of who he is. And that's not to say that you need to walk around with a big smile on your face all the time. God's word calls us to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. It also says, Paul tells us, that he knows how to be sorrowful and yet ever rejoicing. Because even though the pressures of this life are on him, he remembers who Christ is and what he's done for him. And songs can help us with that. The testifying people is comprised of testifying persons. We have to do this on an individual basis. We have to all individually lift up our voices to become a chorus of praise to the Lord. So when he says, come in here, all you who fear God, I will tell you what he has done for my soul. Remember that your, your story, your testimony fits into the songs that we're going to sing. We're going to end with blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. That is not something that is just specific to one person's story, but it is the all-encompassing story of God's people, and we find our place in it when we lift up our voices. The songs we sang this morning, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. King, the King of love, my Savior is. How can I keep from singing? Oh, praise the name. All of them have been designed to introduce, not introduce, but to welcome us into worshiping him through song as he is worthy and as our hearts need to express for our own good, for our own contentment and satisfaction in Christ. So come in here, come in here, all you who fear God. I cried to him with my mouth and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened because he's taken care of my iniquities. He's removed my sin as far as the east is from the west. Because of that, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. It's amazing that the beginning of the psalm starts with, shout for joy to God. And then the end of it is, he has listened. Do you ever wonder, is God listening when you sing? Do you ever wonder if he's up there in heaven going, oh man, Nick's going to sing again. Guys, watch this. No delights in the praises of his people. He loves it when you lift up your voice and sing to him. We, we often um, leave hymns and other music um, on for our girls for a little while as they go to sleep. And some of the most beautiful moments 
are when Nora is laying in bed and we can just hear her singing, Bless the Lord, oh my soul, or whatever song it might be. Because she's not singing for anybody. She probably doesn't even think about, you know, I'm going to worship the Lord as I go to sleep tonight. But the Lord is pleased with it. He's pleased with your singing, singing, brothers and sisters. Testify to the greatness of God. Show us, show me, show everyone around us who God is by raising up your voice this morning. We can't say what's there to sing about or this song doesn't really, blessed assurance, I mean, I guess it's an okay hymn, but I'm really an amazing grace kind of guy. It's the truth of these songs that really matter, that really speak to where we are before the Lord. I'm going to give you three things here at the very end. I'm not going to explain them, just three things for why we must sing. One, before the Lord, we want to do it out of obedience and to bring him the glory that he deserves. He's called us to sing. If you can do it today, he's called you to do it. And he's worthy of that obedience and he's worthy of the glory that comes from it. Secondly, think about yourself for a second. Not saying think about your feelings. Think about who you are. Think about who God made you to be. Sing because there is joy and satisfaction in Christ that can be found in it. If, if by singing and raising up your voice this morning, you could find more joy in Christ, would you not do it? Would you not think differently about the song? Even if you like it, even if it's a really great song, would you think this is an access for me to a greater depth of joy in who Christ is because it's me singing in response to what his word has said clearly to me. And then lastly, the whole point of this sermon testify in song the world is watching there may even be people in here that don't know christ that may notice something about the way you're lifting up your voice to sing to god so obedience and glory to christ joy and satisfaction in yourself the salvation of the lost in christ alone sing for those reasons those reasons don't change sunday to sunday you may bear burdens you may bear heavier worries than you had the week before Those are legitimate. We don't want to dismiss them and act like they're nothing. But they're not greater than the gospel truth that we come to proclaim. Will you bow your heads with me, please? Lord, we thank you for the gift of singing. We thank you wherever we are on the spectrum of embracing it, that you've prescribed it to your people for your own glory and for our great joy. Help us now as we lift our voices to honor you with them. Make us those who testify to your greatness through song and through our whole lives. In Jesus' name, amen.